nice to have you with us today and the rest of you as well. So. <laughs> let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to the book once again of Ephesians. Uh, those of you that have been with us in the last couple of months, it should just about fall open to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, by the time we're done, I'm sure it will, if it hasn't so far. Ephesians chapter 6, I just marked my time and it looks like we've got six hours left according to Paul. So, uh, so that would be your fault, Paul. So there we go. But Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, and to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. We ask special blessing upon the reading of God's word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study today. Father God, we're thankful to be in this place, gathered together to worship, to praise, to uplift your name, for you alone are worthy of that. Father, it's an opportunity for you now to encourage us through the power of the word. We would ask that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit, who exclusively we ask what would teach us this afternoon. We would ask that the words of life, the words that literally depict and unfold and show yourself, Father, to be taken in so that relationally we will have never been closer to you than these moments. Father, we'll pray that you will change us where we need to be changed, encourage us, strengthen us, give us wisdom. And above all, Father, may you be glorified in all that's said and done. And we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to uh, actually the fifth and uh, fifth piece of armor today. And uh, it's been somewhat of a long journey, I guess. But certainly, if we take our country, our nation, where we are, this is probably as needed as anything today, knowing where we are spiritually. We are in a spiritual war in this world, particularly in the United States of America. I've never seen in my lifetime, I just, well, I guess you guys know that I just turned 60 this last week, and I thought 60 was so amazingly old, not very long ago, and now it's middle age. It's not a problem. Amen. Just get used to it. I'm talking the, the, the middle-aged people in the, in the congregation. Amen. Okay. Well, very good. Now that we're all on the same page. Uh, but let's talk about, seriously now, the fact of the matter is, quite honestly, folks, we need to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, Paul is very, it's, and, and you take the book of Ephesians, you start to tear it down. It's amazing what he starts out in verse 3. He talks about blessing us with all of those blessings that are heavenly. 
He starts us off looking to heaven and literally now at the end of this fantastic letter, this unfolding of who we are in Christ, in him, in whom, all of those things, literally and telling us how to walk, how to think, all of those things. And now we're at the end and he says, what? you are in a big time war. And you literally, we talked about it last week, we jumped ahead because it fit my mother so much, was a prayer warrior. She was a prayer warrior. And to think literally, he starts us looking to the heavens and he ends where? Us on our knees. The greatest place for us to be literally is on our knees. Well, we're going to take just a step back in verse 17. The one we're going to look at today is number five in the, in the uh, weaponry, if you will. And that is to take the helmet of salvation. To take the helmet of salvation. He's been very careful, actually, Paul, to, to show us the importance of all of the armor of God. Um, there are a number of scriptures even that talk about the fact that there are some people today that don't even know we're in a war. And once you're a Christian, it's fantastic. You just, I guess, tiptoe through the roses and it's great. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us really that we're in a race. And I don't know about you, but you don't really go to a race. Oh, let's see. Oh, well, looks like these people are all lined up. They've got their right clothes on. They've got their right shoes on. I think I'm just going to just kind of relax and just kind of jog along. Who would do that? If you have the opportunity to be at the race, wouldn't you run with everything, with all the zest and zeal that you possibly could imagine? Especially considering that we have Jesus Christ. The race of life should charge us on like no one else. That was Hebrews chapter 12. Ephesians chapter 6, he says you're in a war. I mean, you have to measure that for a moment. That means it's serious business. It's really big time. And the really cool thing is is you cannot lose when you're in Jesus Christ. That's not up for grabs. You're in a war that you won. God's got this. He provided everything necessary for you to win the victory. Now, the really cool thing is it's not your strength. Because if it was, you would lose. Every time we look to ourselves, we get in trouble. Is that not true? There was three lines as I was driving to the graveside service for my mother, and we had it was one of those mornings where stuff just goes wrong. <laughs> um, I, I won't go into all of it, but one of the last things, I was gonna put gas in the van because we had chairs, we were getting the microphones, and it's have you noticed about the Melhoff thing we're never early? Have you noticed? <laughs> Who said no? <laughs> problem, oh, right here, our problem child. But at any rate, you're so right. And I was uh, finally, so I've, and I'm on the phone, of course. I've stuck the nozzle into the gas tank, and I'm going to turn it on. And then no one told me that the hose should have been replaced because it went whoosh. Oh. I, I remember who I was, I, I do remember I was, who I was on the phone with. I said, Oh, man, that was not good. And he said, what, what, what? I said, I've just been sprayed with gas. And I had my, you know, I had my white shirt on. I was ready, right? I was ready. So I shut that off, go in the house and quickly try to wash down. And it's, it's just not gone real smoothly, okay? Finally get it all together, on the way to Dylan. And I remember between Twin and Dylan, those moments, thought came across my mind, you know, it sure isn't easy. Followed by, you know, mom's life never was easy. I don't remember my mother ever having it easy. 
But the following thought was, but she made it simple because she trusted God. And then the line that I'd never, ever had crossed my mind, and it is so incredibly true, and it came from not me, from somewhere else, it was this. But life gets very complicated when we try to make it easy. Isn't that absolutely true? Sometimes the best thing for us is when life is not easy, because then it becomes easy to trust God. And when we try to make our lives easy, we make really dumb decisions. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. And I have no idea what branch that was that got me down this road, but let's go back and let's start working on our lesson today. And uh, what were we talking about? Where were we at? Oh, we were talking about a race. Uh, if, you go to, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, guess what? We actually have depicted for us in Scripture by Paul a boxing match. That sounds rather robust. We have a war in Ephesians 6. You know what? There is nothing easy. There is nothing laid back about the Christian life. It is full scale, go get them. And God gave us everything we need to get that done. Now, the first three, is, this was a couple of weeks ago, but the first three pieces of armor that we have are mentioned to us, the belt of truth, verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I pointed out to you during the, when we finished that section, let's go to verse 14 in your text. It says, stand therefore having, having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And the thought continues, literally having your feet shod with a preparation. Those are three pieces of armor that once you have them, don't take them off. Now the next three talk about taking. Um, I think about the fact if someone is in war, he's in a battle, there's a time that you must rest. You know, you have to take nourishment. You must sit down from the heat of the battle is gone and you're kind of an in-between thing. Those three things you continue to keep on. That is to live a life of commitment to truth. That's the belt of truth. That's literally all brings it all together within the sense of commitment to living a life of truth. Don't ever take that off. You don't take your belt off in the middle of the war ever, ever. And then secondly, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. That is to live a life that is holy. Don't make that word any bigger than you... Than, than, don't, don't take it outside of because when you're living righteously, when you're living holy, when you're focused on God, then literally there's a protection, that breastplate. All of those vital areas of which Satan wants to take you out, when you live that life, it's a, it's a protectionary, it's a breastplate of righteousness that literally don't take that off. Don't stop doing that. And then the third thing is the fact of having your shoes or be, have your feet shod with the preparation of peace. That level of confidence. You know what? You can have the greatest stability when you're standing firm. And again, we're not asked to go, ch- don't go chasing after the devil. It never tells us to do that. We are to stand firm and to resist him. He takes off then. Why would you want to follow him after you've stood firm and resisted? He'll bring his game to you if you're doing what God wants you to do. But we are to stand firm, and nothing will give you firmer stability than literally knowing confidently that God is with you. And when you have trusted Christ as Savior, literally then you are at peace with God. 
What could be better? What could you do? More stability. Those are things that we talked about. Having those things, don't take those off. And then two weeks ago, we talked about taking up. In fact, look at the next one uh, we're reviewing. Above all, or in addition to, that would be a better uh, of understanding. Verse 16, uh, uh, in addition to those that you, t- that you have, take. Did you see that? It's not having anymore. It says take. Take the shield of faith. Now, all of a sudden, you're resting. You're literally, you're, you're, in, you're still in the war, but you've sat down. You've got these things that you never take off. Then all of a sudden, you see the enemy coming. You take the shield of faith because they're going to start fiery darts, those doubts of those darts of doubt, those things that he wants to take your eyes off of what's really important. When Satan can get your eyes off of Jesus, when he can take your eyes off of what's really important, he literally has taken a beachhead. He has taken a position that makes you weaker. That shield of faith, which literally was two foot by four foot. Oftentimes, we talked about this, we would, they would almost lock those together. There was the, the initial sense of going forward that those, that shield, that moving shield, was literally protecting for those behind them that had the ammunition to take out the enemy. That is always your forefront is the shield of faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the strongest thing that could happen for you against these flaming arrows that comes from Satan. He's so crafty. In fact, the word wiles that we find in verse 10, that's the word, craftiness. He's sneaky. Well, we come to the second one. You say, man, you've, that's just review. Yeah, that's just the review. So let's go to the fifth one now. And we find to take, again, did you notice that? To take the helmet of salvation. This would be another one of those. in the heavy hitting, the heavy stuff going on, to take the helmet of salvation. As you took the shield of faith, you were, you know, I, I was thinking of this as well. What, what does, tell me what's equal to trusting God. And if I was going to ask you today, how many of you trust God? And, and you'd kind of look around, we're in a good place, uh, that you could say, yeah, I trust God, right? And I'm not going to ask you to do this. But it's interesting, when you say you trust God, there's something that really does happen. Because it proves the fact that you're trusting God. Now, to just give lip service, yeah, I trust God. Well, how do you know? Excuse me? Obey. Obey, That's exactly right. He had my notes. You must have gotten right into them. Good job. I like that. You're right on it. In fact, I'll tell you something. If someone says they trust God, I can tell you this. To know that that's true, that means they're going to be obeying God. And when you're obeying God, it tells me that you're trusting God. Those things are interchangeable. And that's literally what the shield of faith is, is trusting God by obeying him. When we're obeying him, we're showing that we're trusting him. The helmet of salvation. Now, let's talk about the Romans' helmet for a moment. What did those look like? Uh, what, what was, what was and we're talking about the vintage or the date in which this was written. Paul would have been talking about a Roman soldier. Uh, in most cases, it would have been a, a helmet that would be leather that they would have riveted or put pieces of metal to to give it even more durability, even more, uh, I'm going to say, more uh, blunt force proof as such. And then there's another one that was actually literally a cast iron. It would have been, if you've seen those with those red plumes, I don't understand what that's for exactly. Oh, there they come. <laughs> Maybe it's a sense of identification. Oh, that's, there, there they are, right? Okay. Um, but it would have been a full metal helmet. Now, what did it do? What was the purpose of the helmet? Protects your head from what? 
Now, as we talked about the shield of faith and even the breastplate of righteousness, it would have been a lot of those hand-to-hand combat, there would have been a short dagger, if you will, that's probably the best word, a knife, that was a foot or less long. And that person would have been working literally close quarters. And he would have been using it to destroy at very close quarters and thrusting it, okay? For the helmet itself, that would never have been the biggest problem in protection of the head. It would have been what would have called a broad sword. And if there was horsemen, they would literally have, or there would be some on the ground as well, but it required literally to wield it two hands. It was three to four feet long, so that's a big sword. It was double-edged. And literally, those on a horse that would be above a man, they would want to take out that person of which they would even ride, ride by as the horse is moving. Now, understand, you're mounted, so you could use both hands, and you'd have to be, you know what I'm saying, pretty good. It's not your first day out on the horse, but you understand what I'm saying. They would be, they'd be, they'd be together, shall we say. And, and you can imagine, can you imagine the blunt force of which could be wielded? That's what the helmet was for. That's what it was for. Literally, that Roman soldier would have been protected then from that type of aggression. Now, as you were thinking about that for a moment, we, we won't probably get to it today, but I would like to say that in the Christian standpoint of the helmet of salvation, we'll be talking about that in just a moment, but from the enemy that we're dealing with, as Satan or the demons or the evil forces, as they would wield that broadsword, that double-edged sword is literally two things that probably are the Christian's biggest challenges. And that is discouragement and doubt. Those two things wield more weakness in a soldier than probably anything else that I'm aware of. So when we say the helmet of salvation, let's take a look. Let's take your Bibles now. We're going to move to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's take a peek at verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. Well, look at the... the uh, the similarity between what he had written to the Ephesians. Verse 8, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, it says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober. That would be, be ready. Putting on the, oh, look at this. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay, now let's come back to Ephesians and let's think about it. Now he said, put on the helmet of salvation. Now at first glance you say, okay, so we've we got to get saved. Uh, I'm here to say, not here. Because this would be step five. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, 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 no. Salvation is the only way you can have access to the armor. If you're not saved, you don't even get the belt of truth because you don't even know you're lost. That's right. So it's not getting saved, step five. It's understanding the full scope of what salvation is. Now, what in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 8, the hope of salvation So literally, there are three aspects to salvation. If you trusted Christ as Savior, just as that lady that was at Pizza Hut, that day her life became a brand new person because she met Jesus. Or Jesus met her. But she was ready. And it's amazing how we're in the right place and apparently the wrong road is just where God wants us. 
Isn't that how God works? It is just the way he wants it. But here's the deal. That would have been the moment that the first phase of salvation took place. And that is called justification. That would be the past. That is the past to that woman that accepted Christ. It is in her past because she has been declared not guilty. And that is the penalty of sin that is no longer something she has to deal with. It's behind her. It's over. Amen and amen, right? Okay. But that's, there again, that's something that is past. Not to be concerned with any longer. And most of you in this room could go back to a date. You could go back to a time when literally you gave everything you were to Jesus Christ. You trusted him. And trust is such a simple thing, quite honestly. We make it bigger sometimes than we want. Again, I'm the only one that is not trusting in a chair right now. All of you have taken a position and said, you know what? I trust this chair because I'm going to sit in it. Now, I wouldn't trust the chair with my eternal life because it's not big enough. It's not strong enough. It's not smart enough. It never conquered death. That's why it's so easy to literally trust the only one that literally conquered death, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why I don't trust Muhammad. That's why I don't trust Buddha. That's why I don't trust anyone except for Jesus Christ because he literally was the first fruits. He was the one that took us. We're going to talk about this in Hebrews. He literally has the hope that he went first. He was the forerunner to salvation. And you know, when we think of an... I'm getting ahead of myself. Isn't that fantastic to know that in the past, our past is taken care of. It's done for. Now, eternal life starts at that moment. Now, eternal, what does that mean? means exactly what it says. There's no way to interrupt it. It's got a beginning and no ending. Isn't that cool? But we also, salvation is not just about the past. It is about the present. In the time frame of which you find yourselves from that justification, that period in the past that you trusted Christ as Savior, from that very second forward, you went into the second phase of salvation. It's the present phase, and it's the one that is very challenging. It's called sanctification. And it sounds almost too much, doesn't it? It's like we're not good enough. No, you're not good enough for that. Because if you're trusting yourself, you aren't going to get it right. That's where the weaker we are, the more we trust in God. And it's his strength that makes us strong. That's what Peter, I'm sorry, that's what Paul said in, in the Corinthians. In my weakness, I am strong in Christ. Absolutely true. Now that, but this is really important. Now, what are, now let's go back and review. When we were justified, we were taken outside of the penalty of sin. During the process of sanctification, literally, you are no longer under the power of sin. Isn't that great? Now, if you sin, it depends, you know, really, we, we either trust God or we trust Satan. There are not, there's not a lot of in-betweeners. If you're sinning, that means that you trusted Satan. If you deny sin, that means you trusted God. Amen. So who do you trust? Now remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same dynamic power, literally lives within you when you trusted Christ. So there's not anything of which... Now, I would say this. Is there anything that Jesus Christ couldn't have handled? Is there anything that he wasn't... Able to take care of? There's not something that he's more that he's not powerful. Of course not. That same power lives within you. The power of sin is broken because of what Jesus Christ did. 
But that's still not exactly what Paul is talking about to the Ephesians. He's actually talking about something else. There's one more phase, and it is called the future. Because we, we, the penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is gone. And I'm saying that it should be gone. And thirdly, there's a phase coming, and it's called the future. And it is our glorification. And it means that we will no longer be in the presence of sin. And I am looking forward to that. That's the one thing I'm a little bit envious of my mother. She, today, is in a place where there's no sin. <laughs> Romans chapter 7 talks about, I think, one of the greatest apostles, Paul the Apostle. I mean, what more could you ask for? And he was so honest, so humble. He says, you know what? I, this is so terrible. I can't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. That's, that's called the sin nature, and we're in that sanctification process. But you know, there's coming a day. There is coming a day when we no longer will be in the presence of sin. And that's coming. That is coming, and sure as we're here in this room, because God promised it. He didn't leave it up to you. He fixed it. He fixed it. Fixed it. Oh, I've got to find my glasses a minute. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know where I left you, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at how Peter, one of those apostles, I love how that man matured after watching his Savior be crucified, to be buried, and to see him risen again. All of those things start to come together. But let's start reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at verses 3. We'll start there. What, now watch this very carefully. Our future, now, so salvation, again, just before we go there, so the salvation, the hope we have, the real hope is the past, justification, the present, sanctification, and the future is glorification. That's in our future. Watch this now. Verse 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your hope sitting here today, if you're a Christian and you want to have hope, it is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't believe that, then you truly are, as Paul said, it, it couldn't get any worse. It couldn't get any worse. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means he couldn't be trusted to take care of it. But he did. That's the strength. Verse 4. Because of that... Let me read that again. Abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, comma, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, it is reserved in heaven for you. Now, I'm going to say this. If God puts a reservation in heaven for you, I would pity the person that would try to take that away. If you've trusted Christ, you have a reservation in heaven. Now, I've been to restaurants where I've reserved ahead of time, and they didn't get it right. In heaven, trust me, if God reserved it, you're there. But let's keep going. There's a reason for that. Keep going. Verse 5. Who, this is speaking of you, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is literally exactly what we're talking about here. That is exactly what we're talking about. You have a reservation in heaven. You know why? Because the power of God 
That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the reason that we can count on the fact that we're going to be in heaven someday. And that hope of salvation, see, if you don't have that hope, and I'm talking all three phases of salvation, and you are not covering your head, protecting your head, that sword, that broad sword of river, what we said, it's two-edged, we'll be talking about it probably next week, is what? One side is, I'm going to, i got to get this right, discouragement, and the other is doubt. If you don't have a firm, firm grip on how solid and secure your salvation is, you will be subject to be taken certainly backwards with discouragement and doubt. But if I know that I am going to heaven because God said it, I'm in good hands. That helmet of salvation is so much bigger when I know that every single phase of that, God does not make junk. And look at this. This verse just popped in my mind. You're right there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at this. He finishes what he starts. This verse is good. Every once in a while, my wife reminds me of it because uh, she's thinking I'm not quite far enough along. But look at it. He is faithful to complete what he started. This is a verse you need to keep, in, keep uh, close by. Philippians 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Still her pages rustling. Philippians. Now, again, you remember the book of Philippians? Isn't that amazing? Here's a guy, Paul, and he's writing this letter about, if I was going to ask you in one word, tell me what Philippians is about. Joy. It's all about joy. So where would this guy, he must have had a vacation in the Caribbean. He must have been somewhere in the Bahamas lying beside the beach with a lemonade and a, and a shade, and he's writing about good times. But if you've done your study in Philippians, literally, Paul was in jail. Because he was preaching about Jesus. And he's talking about joy. And he meant it. But look, this is part of the reason. Chapter 1, verse 6, watch. Being confident. Oh, that's good stuff. Being confident of this very thing. That he, this is God, which hath begun a good work in you. That would be justification. That's the first work of salvation. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You are a work in progress, and what he starts, he finishes. I'm really, I'm really glad of that. I said at my mother's graveside, I said, that verse actually popped in my mind, but it was in a little different light. You see, God is using you if you're living in Jesus Christ. If you've dedicated your life to doing his will, you know that God will use you to perform those things that need to be maturity in others. My mother was 94 years old. I think one of the reasons that she lived to that length of time is because I needed more work. And some of you are laughing in a nice way, in a nice way. But you know what? She also was working on others, wasn't she? She was teaching others how to be a prayer warrior. She was teaching others how to literally get in tune with God. See the importance of literally laying your life before God. You know what? Those are awesome things. And people become part of God's plan to fulfill Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And he wants to use you in that regard. He wants to see us mature and to become more of everything he's saying. Another verse. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. First, 
Romans chapter 8. What a, what a powerful, powerful chapter. If there's a chapter that has so much for it, it's this one. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now let me stop there for a moment. One of the things that suffering, uh, literally from God's perspective, is to make us better, to make us purer. We, you add heat to precious metals and guess what happens? The hotter you get it, the dross or the, the, the off ingredients they rise to the top and you can skim those off and what's left is purity. See, suffering has a lot of doing of that. It, it cleans us up. Now, Satan will use suffering as he was really trying to get to Job by creating a life that was very difficult. So he was hoping that Job would say something like, wow, I followed God all my life and this is what I get? This is ridiculous. Where's that? Or I've, I've been following Jesus. I got a Bible. I was reading it and my wife's no different than she was before. Or my husband is completely oblivious to my wanting to do it right. You see all of those things? You know what that is? That's called discouragement. That's all called discouragement. All of those little things just chip away. And you know what? Those sufferings in comparison to the hope of salvation, I'm talking the whole package, that's why it becomes nothing because we know our future is guaranteed because of what God claimed to be true. Isn't that good? Let's keep going, though. There's actually creation is waiting. Look at this, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth, what? For the manifestation of the sons of God. They really want, actually, to have the fulfillment of the complete salvation. Everyone is waiting for that to happen. The, the earnestness of that is right here in our text. Look at uh, Roman. We'll be back to Romans 8. In a moment. Let's go to Romans 13, just a few pages over. Let's look at verse 11. <clears throat> See, it, it actually shows, this, this verse here tells us that it's not just about our justification, but our glorification. Uh, Romans chapter 13, let's look at verse 11. Oh, we, we need to get this one in our, under our belts. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. Isn't that true? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I don't know when any one of you got saved. I don't know what day it was for sure, but I can tell you one thing. You are, you are a lot closer to it now than you were when you got saved. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't let up. Don't let up on the gas. Full speed ahead. Full speed ahead. Let's get on with it. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. (laughs) Do you have that marked? He He has made it so that it is always able to triumph in Christ. Not half the time, not sometimes, not once in a while. Every single time you have the ability, because of him, what strength he's given us, to triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Mark that verse. You're invincible when you're in him. Amen. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. And uh, let's look at, literally, thinking about the helmet of salvation. And what it does when it's... Let's look at all of these things and we'll talk about it in a moment. Think about all of the things that can bring discouragement or doubt. The helmet of salvation, the 
complete hope in that, literally what it does. Verse 35, we'll start there. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, that's one of the things that Satan continues. Well, you sinned today. I bet, I bet God doesn't love you anymore. I don't think he loves you enough to take you to heaven because you're kind of a loser. And you just proved it again today. Poke, 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 jab, 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 in your eye, right? That's a great question. There's a lot of people today that are wondering, you know what? I really don't deserve to be loved by God. You're right. There's not a person here. There's not a person in the entire world that deserves to be loved by God. But he does. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, He commendeth his love towards us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. I don't understand that kind of love, but that's what God did because he's God. He doesn't owe us anything, but he loves us anyway. But let's keep watching. That's a great question. So how Paul going to answer it? Romans chapter 8, he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He throws some things out. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? peril. Or sort. Now, that covers a lot of country, doesn't it? Somewhere in there in your last week when you said, oh, this is crazy. I can't handle this anymore. I think it's in one of those. One of those words. It's You're somewhere in there. Or maybe it was even something worse. But you know what? I bet it's right there. Well, let's keep going. Verse 37. No. No. In all of these things, watch it, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. <laughs> You're not just a conqueror, you're a super conqueror. <laughs> now, how many times have you said that? I am a super conqueror. <laughs> now, make sure you say it in the right light, because if it isn't God that strengthened you, uh, he's going to take you down a notch to find out where you really are. <laughs> but you can still be a super conqueror in him. Let's keep going. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither, watch now, neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, that's including yourself, by the way, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I cannot think of anything more refreshing to know the fact that our hope of salvation in every single phase is right there. You cannot be separated from the love of God if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Forever. That's right. Boy, on fire today, huh? It's good stuff, though. The Bible is that way. Let's go to something. I think this is really insightful. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter... These are words of Jesus. Jesus was sharing some parables, and he was talking about prayer. And look at that. It's just rather just... It just flows, and then it's you move on. But let's think of this carefully. I think we might have mentioned last week. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Did you see there's only two ways? If you feel weak and faint, you know what you need to be doing immediately? Praying. Amen. And if you're praying, guess what you're not going to be doing? Fainting. It's your choice. Now, isn't it amazing? We usually fall faint before we think about praying. And it's so hard to get back into the game, isn't it? So if we just always pray, fainting is not reality. So you have a choice. Pray or faint. 
Isn't that so direct? It's so, it's so simple, isn't it? Let's go, to, uh, let's go back to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How are those Bibles? Are getting warmed up? Those pages from using them? I like it. 2 Corinthians 4. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Now, this is what happens when we really literally understand the significance. And you think about Paul. That man took more beatings. He took more pressure, more perseverance, more challenges. Watch how he says this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That's a fantastic section again, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how God's Word just nourishes us, feeds us, encourages us? Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus' words again, and look at the sense of security that is given here. Uh, John chapter 6, we'll start in verse 37. He's saying this to his disciples. John six thirty-seven: All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Did you get that? (laughs) It's God's will, literally, that salvation is fully complete. Nothing left out. Not started and not finished. Not started and lost it. Not started in anything else. If it's started, it's finished. And let's go to Romans 8 one more time. Look at this. This verse really, to me, was a breakthrough. This was a breakthrough for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, many years ago. Just, again, it's amazing how clear and concise the Scripture is. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Now, I'm going to, we're going to read this verse, and then I want you to... Remember what we said? I didn't write it down, but let's go back and review for a moment. Okay? The first phase of, of salvation is what? It is justification. That means that you have been broken of the penalty of sin. You are now free, literally, in Jesus Christ because He has broken the penalty of sin. You no longer are subject to eternal death. That's fantastic. That we should be thankful for the rest of our entire lives, right? Okay? And then the second one is sanctification. And then the last one is glorification. So let's watch carefully for those terms as we unfold. So let's go now. Okay? Now again, keeping in mind how secure we are in Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, those he also called. 
and whom he called them, he also, oh, there's our word, justified. That's saved, declared not guilty, and who, watch now, and whom he justified them, every single one of them, there's no one left, every single one of them also he glorified. That verse to me spoke mountains for me when I was, there was a time in my life that I was just, you know what, and that's one of those things of discouragement and doubt. Satan does not want you to feel secure in your salvation. He does not want you to be secure. And when I saw that verse, and I'd read it lots of times, but to see that every single person that was justified, every single person that trusted Jesus Christ, not one of them is not glorified. (laughs) That is the best news that I could have. I remember reading it and reading, whoa, and reading it again. You know what it did? It was like putting on the helmet of salvation. Because I could take a blow from Satan and doubt and discouragement. It wielded nothing. I was safe because I had the full package, the hope, the full hope of salvation. Now, hope is different than the word we use today. I'll say, I hope it rains. And by the way, I do. (laughs) But the hope in the scripture is literally, it's in a noun form. When it's hope, it is the noun form. The hope that is in you. The hope of salvation. It's not something that's, I don't know for sure. No, no, it's fixed because it's real. When we see that hope of salvation, there's nothing ever to be thought of to be lost in any way, shape, or form. That's a fantastic thing. That's a fantastic thing. Let's go to the little letter of Jude. The little letter of Jude. See you guys. Jude... Let's look at now if you're in if you're in Jude chapter 6 you're in the wrong place. You're going to find this little if you find revelation you're close just spin to the left until you find this little letter called Jude. Jude. Now it's it's really interesting how he begins. Now he was this short letter and yet it's so vibrant. Verse 1 Jude. Jude 1 Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved. Did you see that? Preserved in Jesus Christ and called. (laughs) You know where I want to be? I want to be preserved. I want to be preserved for the reservation in heaven. I want that grace that literally is fixed. Now, look at this. Turn back to verse 24. Now you're get, we've went from the beginning of this little letter to the end. Verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Did you see that? I want to be on that guy's side. I want, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior to be, to be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you talk about say a lot in a little letter. Isn't that fantastic? That's who Jesus Christ is. That's who God is. That's what his plan is all about. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I about got you guys wore out probably. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at... Let's see. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's start at verse 13. Verse 13. For when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. 
And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Now, you are in that heirs of promise. It's amazing for me. This is one of the things that's really bothering me today with how the United States is in its stance towards Israel. It's a weakened position at best. In fact, it's almost the sense of there's animosity now from the Americans towards Israel. If you take your Bible, which we no longer seem to do at the higher halls of Congress or in places of leadership, we need to dial into Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. And literally, God promised. And you know what? When God promises something, there's no one greater to promise. There's two immutable things. We talk about those in a moment. That literally, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. I think I want to be on the blessing side. And if we're going to do that, we need to get on the side of Israel because that's what God said and if God said it we better do it trusting God equals remember obeying God obeying God equals trusting God we need to do what we know to be right and we're in that blessing we're there so let's keep reading where did I leave you Uh, let's read verse 17 again we're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise that's us. We're part of that. The immutability of his counsel. In other words, you know what? This is really cool. Now, how, no, I shouldn't say this, but one of the other reasons that I don't trust or follow Allah, the reason I'm not a Muslim, is because one of the key tenets to Allah is the fact that he has the ability to change. He can abrogate. In other words, he can change his mind. Oh, that sounds so bad. What if Jesus, what if God could, quote, abrogate? And I've been preaching to you, I've been talking to you for literally, in 21 years that we've been here, it's been the same. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. That doesn't get any better. That's the best news I could think of. He died for you. He paid for it. Now, what if a thousand years from now, God decided it's different? You have to work for your salvation. I can't think of a sadder day. I cannot think of a sadder God to follow than someone that literally can change. I'm so glad it's right there. God cannot change. That sense of immutability, He is fixed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God! Those men that flew into the towers of 911, their God literally, five years from today, could change his mind, that they no longer fit the model to be in paradise. Would you want to follow a God like that? I want one that I know where he's coming from all of the time for eternity. Amen. Let's keep going. This gets, it gets better. Here we go. The immutability of his counsel, it cannot change, confirmed it by an oath. Watch now. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie... We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Those two immutable things that he promised was the promise itself to Abraham. He said, I will bless you. Your descendants will be as the stars of the, of the sky or as the sand of the sea. And we're in there. That family that God literally promised that would come through Jesus Christ. That promise is immutable. And it's immutable, secondly, because of the fact it was God himself that promised it. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, it says, or verse 2, And God who cannot lie. <laughs> Isn't that good to have a God that cannot lie? Oh my goodness, is this not powerful? 
The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, let's keep going. One more verse. That hope, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot of stuff going in there, but did you see the word anchor? You know what? I need an anchor for my soul. I do need an anchor. You need an anchor. You need something that you can really be fixed to. Now, when we think of an anchor, I remember oh, many years ago we went to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles. That was way back, wasn't it? That was like 1983. We were just married. And I remember visiting the Queen Mary, that ship, just, just, just sitting there. And I remember seeing the anchor. Have you ever seen that? Anybody see the Queen Mary? If you haven't, yeah, you have. I mean, I mean, just, you know, the, like one link holding the anchor, it's massive. And the anchor itself, it was gigantic. And that's when I think of anchor, that's what I'm thinking of. But I want you to, and you know what anchors usually are? If you have an anchor for a ship or you have an anchor for something, you know what? They're always downward, aren't they? They're in the ground. They're, in fact, some would take a boat, a smaller boat from a ship if they didn't have a good place to get it. And they would take it where it had a firm footing. Do you know where your anchor is for your soul? It's in heaven. It's an upward anchor. And it is steadfast, rock solid, going nowhere. Because that hope, that anchor is based not in you, not in anyone like you. It is firmly, completely, 100%, no questions asked because of what Jesus Christ did. That anchor is solid for what he accomplished. That's the helmet of salvation. That's why you can take a blow to the head (laughs) from Satan and you will be unscathed. Now, next week, we'd like to come back. Uh, We'll not take any more time today, but I want to just look at some, some people in the Bible that literally discouragement and doubt literally took them to the mat for a while. But God is right there. I'm not going to... Well, I'm not going to leave it right there because that's, that's really cool. Let it hang so that you guys got to come back to see and feel what we're going to talk about. But literally, the overview is this, really. The helmet of salvation is absolutely crucial. When you're in, remember now, let's, let's go back. There's three things that you want to have. Three items of the, of, the warfare, of, of the armor you want to have. And what are they? They are the belt of truth. You want to be committed to a life of truthfulness. Secondarily, you have the... Blessed prayer of righteousness. You want a life of righteousness. You want a life of holiness. You want to have those things that literally shield all of those things that are just... That never comes off. And thirdly, it was your shoes of the preparation of peace. When you know you're saved, literally, you are at peace with God. There's no way to be more stable. And if you, as a soldier, are not stable and you're slipping around, you're in deep trouble. You never take those three. And for me, that's easy for me to see because I'll tell you what, I am not a barefoot guy. Even in a house, i got to have a shoe on. I got to be stable. I got to be, I don't want those little tiny, it, you're not like that. Nobody's looking at me. I mean, that little, that, that little stuff, that really bugs me. A shoe, I want it on. The breastplate of righteousness, keep it on. The belt of truth, keep it on. And then when the heat of the battle comes, take that shield of faith and use it. Put that helmet of salvation on because he's coming by with a horse and he's going to slam you with a broadsword that is fixed to take discouragement and doubt to a brand new level. And if you have the full scope of salvation, past, present, and future, you know what? You are as safe as you could possibly imagine being. 
Oh, goodness, right? And we haven't even talked about you got one offensive weapon. Actually, in prayer, we talked about that's offensive as much can be. I remember, I think of my mother at 94, and she's in a wheelchair. She's got almost every imaginable thing. And I'll tell you what, Satan was fearful of that woman because she was in a place that prayer was number one. She talked to God every single day about a lot of people. She was getting it done. And again, I say to you, let's do that. Let's do that. But we're going to talk about, we'll spend how far we get next week. I want to talk about how Satan, because I think discouragement and doubt are the number two enemies of a Christian today. We want to make sure we see it coming before it comes. And then, of course, have your helmet of salvation on. But then the one I really want to talk about, which is maybe two weeks from now, and that is taking the sword of the Spirit. Nothing stronger, nothing more powerful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being so careful to show us how strong you are, how immutable, the unchangeableness of a plan, of a promise that you set out. Father, we worship you. We fall down at our knees humbly, giving you everything we are. Father, thank you for sometimes not making it easy. Many times it's not easy. But then it becomes easy to trust you. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to trust you. Thank you for Jesus Christ who secured our anchor in heaven because he was the forerunner. He conquered death. The very fact that he conquered it allows us to have confidence in the fact that we will follow after him because it's been promised. Father, may we firmly put on the helmet of salvation to ward off those discouragement and doubt that comes as a blow that he's trying to take us to the mat. Father, you've provided it. You've shown us. We've looked at scriptures today. Thank you so much for how powerful a God that you are. You truly are great. You are awesome. Father, these people that are here today and those that hear my voice, you have them on a journey. They were born for this time, just as Esther said, was told, maybe you have been for such a time as this. Father, we are here because we are in the perfect place for you to work with us. Each step that's taken, Father, wherever our steps may take in our life, Father, we would ask that you would direct them. But we would be seeking your will. We'd be focused completely and wholly on what you have for us. There could be no safer place, no more important place for us to be than right here, right now, working with you. Father, encourage us. Lift us up. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being so merciful. Father, it is by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest men would boast. We are your workmanship. Thank you, Father, for not being done with us early. You're going to finish everything that you've started. Father, we're here. We're yours. We humbly bow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.